Thanks for tuning in to High Point Assembly's podcast, where you're going to hear a life-giving message that we hope will encourage you no matter where you are in your walk with Christ. Check out our website at highpointassembly.org for more podcasts, information, and how to join us live in person or online every Sunday. We hope this message blesses you wherever you may be listening from. And remember, no matter where you're at, you belong. You know, as a pastor, I regularly get calls from people who they who say that either they or a loved one are in the hospital. Sometimes they're in the emergency room. People share with me when they've been diagnosed with cancer, when their spouse has left, when they've lost their job. Daily here at the church, we get visits from people whose power is being shut off, who are being evicted from their home, they've run out of food, people who are living in their cars, all kinds of stories of children being abused in some in every conceivable way. Overall, a lot of stories about good people dealing with some really bad troubles in their life. And the Lord provides me with opportunities to minister to those people, and I don't take those moments for granted. And most of the time, it always happens in, uh, in the midst of great trials and great concerns and confusion that people are having. But I have to tell you, out of all the things that I experience, probably the most difficult one of all is when someone dies and the inevitable question comes to you, Pastor, why did God allow this to happen? Even the most fervent believers that I know will occasionally look up to heaven and cry out, why? Why me? Why now? Why this? Why, God? And if you've never asked that question yet, I I believe that you will one day because at some point we have all wondered about the ways of God. Today we are beginning a series that I'm titling Strange Days, which is a study from the often read Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And the reason for the title is because just like Habakkuk, we are living in some very strange days. So go ahead if you would and work your way to the book of Habakkuk. It is squeezed between Nahum and Zephaniah near the end of the Old Testament. Habakkuk is a small book And it was written just before the people of Judah's world literally caved in. Habakkuk is considered a minor prophet. But understand there is nothing minor about his message. His writings record a dialogue between one man and his God. Whereas Isaiah contains messages from God, Habakkuk records a conversation with God. And so if you've ever felt like you had a few questions for your Heavenly Father, well, this is the book for you. I want to provide you with just a little bit of background before we get into it. After Judah's good king, Josiah, dies in 609 B.C., the nation of Judah plunges headlong back into the cesspool of corruption. They were once again dealing with immorality and idolatry that had, a pla- that had plagued them for so many generations. But it seems like this time, the people of Judah were hell-bent on their own destruction. Instead of just edging slowly toward the cliff, it seemed that they were determined to plunge over the cliff full speed ahead. It was as if the nation had a death wish and no use for God at all. And that should sound very familiar to us because it describes the direction of our nation over the past 80 years or so. Well, now enters Habakkuk, 
And we almost know nothing about him. He was a contemporary of Ezekiel and Jeremiah. It is estimated that he's around 30 years old. He would have been about 15 to 10, 10 to 15 years older than, than Daniel. And so when Habakkuk sees all of the, the terrible decline that is going on in Judah, he prays for God to do something. And I'm sure he's thinking in his mind that God is going to raise up another good king to lead the people in the right direction. But little did he know that God's answer would come by way of the hated Babylonians. And as you look at Judah's spiritual condition and the circumstances going on behind this book, the parallels to us living in 21st century America are undeniable. I'm reminded of the words spoken by the late Reverend Billy Graham when he was a young preacher. He said, if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, if those words were true some 60 years ago, imagine how much more true they are today. So Habakkuk lived in confusing and strange times, but in his confusion, he isn't afraid to, to ask God difficult questions. And what we're going to learn through this ordeal is how essentially important it is for all of us to cling to our faith like never before in this troubling age in which we live. Because Habakkuk raises many questions that we have today. We have all had times when we haven't understood why things happened the way they did. We just don't get it. I think it's safe to say that we are all going through that kind of a season right now. This whole COVID-19 thing has, has altered, so altered life for us in, in, in such crazy ways that, that it's only natural for us to wonder and start asking questions. But no matter what troubles you may be going through personally, whenever you come up against a problem where it seems like there is no human solution, it seems we, we look up to heaven and we all cry out, God, why don't you do something about it? So as you read this book of Habakkuk, you find he, he is confused and he is agitated about three issues that he's trying his best to process. The first issue is unanswered prayer. And if you'll open your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 1, Verse 2, this is what he says. He asks God this question. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? I want you to consider the many things that are going on in our world today. Warfare, terrorism, murder, corruption at every level, perversity, looting, robbery, drugs, suicide, anarchy. Many of those same things were going on in Habakkuk's day. And as he surveys all of the evil that's going on around him, he cries out to God, how can you let this go on? And if we were honest with ourselves, we too wonder sometimes about God's seeming lack of activity. We often wonder where God is when we need him. A godly mother prays for her wayward son. He was raised in the church. He went to Sunday school. He knows the Bible. But when he left home, he left it all there. And for years, his mother has prayed for him. But to this day, he remains a prodigal son. 
A wife prays for her husband who left her after 30 years of marriage to be with a younger woman. He seems utterly unreachable and the marriage heads swiftly to a divorce. A husband prays for his wife who has terminal cancer. They have a four-year-old daughter and maybe months to live. None of the treatments stop the destructive process. She even has the elders of the church lay hands upon her, anoint her with oil, pray for her in the name of Jesus. And yet she dies months later. A young man play, prays fervently for deliverance from an overpowering temptation in his life, but the struggle never seems to end. The more he prays, the worse it seems that that temptation becomes. A child prays for daddy not to come home drunk, but he does, and he beats his wife. And that same little girl runs to the closet for safety, and she cries herself to sleep, but one more night. It's at times like these when we cry out, like it says in Psalm 10:1, Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Or Psalm 44:23, Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? Well, Habakkuk's second area of concern for Judah is uncontrolled perversity. Look at verses 3 through 4, Habakkuk 1, 3 through 4. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. We've learned very clearly of late that when lawlessness prevails, no one is safe. There was blatant, uncontrolled evil going on in Habakkuk's days. Everything was perverted and out of control. Does that sound familiar to you? I recently read that in Chicago, this past 4th of July weekend, 87 people were shot and 17 of them were killed. In every major city in America, incredibly evil things happen on an ongoing basis. And in the first week of this July, also, the largest pedophile ring in history was busted. When the investigation was completed, they had identified 670 suspects and saved 230 abused children from 30 different countries and brought them to safety. A few years back, a similar thing happened in the city of New York. And here's how the article read. Two police officers, a rabbi, a registered nurse, a nanny, and a Boy Scout den leader are among 70 men and one woman arrested on charges of trading child pornography in what federal officials say is one of the largest ever roundups in the New York City area. The article also contained this disturbing detail. The expansion of the dark web where pedophiles hide using websites that encrypt their computers identifying information has fueled an explosion of child pornography. The dark web refers to the vast underground internet that can't be accessed through search engines like Google. The dark web is said to be many times larger than the internet most of us know and use every day. 
Pornographers, drug traffickers, violent criminals, and terrorists of every variety use the dark web to hide their evil deeds. In this case, the police were able to crack the case because they were able to penetrate part of the dark web. Listen, technology can be a good thing when it is used for good purposes, but when it's put in the hands of evil people, it unleashes uncontrolled perversity in our, in our world. And Habakkuk is experiencing this kind of uncontrolled perversity then, minus the internet, just like we are today. Habakkuk's third issue is an unexpected answer. God gives him an answer that he doesn't expect or understand. Look at verse 5, Habakkuk 1.5. God says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Now those words might have initially led Habakkuk to think that God was going to send a, a spiritual awakening to Judah. Perhaps a, re a revival that would rid the nation of idolatry and perversity and evil and bring them back to God. Well, God is going to send something, but it's not a revival. In fact, here's what he says in verses 6 through 11. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all the fortified cities by building earthen ramps. They capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. Nothing God said could have surprised Habakkuk more than these words. It doesn't make any sense to him at all because everyone knows about the dreaded Babylonians. They were the most hated and feared nation on the face of the earth at that time. Under King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian armies plundered nation after nation. No one could stand against them. No one could defeat them. They were powerful. They were vicious. They had an appetite for destruction. If they wanted a city or a province or a nation, they simply took it. They swept across the land with a cruelty that was previously unknown. If a conquered city was not submissive enough once they were conquered by Babylon, they might put a pile of severed heads, human heads, in the city plaza as a warning to the people, don't you dare rebel against us. They would poke out the eyes of the kings that they had conquered. They would march rulers off in chains. Sometimes they would put hooks through their jaws. These are a nasty people. And God knows how bad they are. In fact, God's ultimate indictment on them is found in verse 11 when he said, whose strength is their God. And yet he picks the meanest nation on the face of the earth to judge Judah. He picks Babylon to do the job for him. And nothing about this makes sense to Habakkuk. It would be like God saying to us, I'm going to raise up Al-Qaeda 
to rule and judge America. Since you did not abide by my law or respect my law, you are now going to have to live under Sharia law. That's exactly how God's message sounded to Habakkuk. He could not believe what he had just heard. And today, as we see all of this craziness that is going on around us, the death, the destruction, the cruelty, like Habakkuk, we also wonder why, don't we? So let me ask you, what if God allows these things for a purpose? What if these things must happen? Very often in the Bible, things had to get worse before they could get better. Have we reached that point in America in 2020? Why have we as a nation turned away from the truth? Why have so many Americans personally turned away? Why the collapsing moral standards in our nation? Well, I think the answer is clear. As a nation, we don't think we need God anymore. It seems we're doing fine without him, or so we think. You know, I remember back on the Sunday after 9-11, I was in Phoenix at that time, and the church, and I don't know what happened here in Red Bluff, but the churches in Phoenix were packed with people. I don't know if you saw that bump here or not. Millions of Americans responded to that terrorist attack by coming to church. But soon that, that, that post-increase in attendance had disappeared, that post-9-11 increase. After just a couple, a couple of weeks, things kind of returned back to normal. We said to ourselves, things will never be the same again. But we were wrong. Because guess what happened to America after 9-11? We turned toward God, toward God, but we just looked at him. We just looked at him. We didn't cry out to him. There's a big difference. We turned in his direction, but we did not repent of our national sins. Let me get back to our story. When Habakkuk hears God's plan, he objects vehemently. He says, God, how can you do this? And this is the key to this book. It's a, it's a dialogue between a frustrated man of God and a God whose ways that he cannot understand. But you have to understand the issue here is not Judah and all of her sin. The issue is not Babylon and all of her evil. The issue is not even Habakkuk's doubts. The issue is God. And we all end up at that place Eventually, all of life's issues direct us to the one who sits on the throne of the universe. So in the last half of Habakkuk chapter 1, the prophet offers up three questions for God. And after asking those questions, he will make a decision that shapes everything else in this book. Question number one is, God, who are you? I want you to look at verse 12. Lord, are you not from everlasting my God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, ha you have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. What do you do when God makes no sense at all to you? Well, you have two choices. You can either walk away from your faith or you can remind yourself of who God is. Sometimes we need a good dose of theology in order to strengthen our faltering faith. 
When faced with the news that the, the hatred, hated Babylonians would soon invade, invade Judah, combined with the fact that, that nothing could stop them, Habakkuk goes back to what theologians call the first principles. And listen to what he calls God. He calls him everlasting. He's saying, Lord, you are sovereign. He calls him Lord. You are the personal God of me and of Israel. He calls him my God. In other words, you are strong. You are the creator. You are the majestic ruler. He says, my holy one. You are in a class all by yourself, God, set apart from sin. He calls him my rock. He's saying, you are my only safe place. These are not small points that he's making here. So as Habakkuk tries to wrap his mind around the shocking reality that God is about to use Babylon to judge Judah, he goes back to what he knows is true about his God. And this is a vital first step for every single one of us. Consider it this way. If you cannot wrap your mind around God's sovereignty, you will always question his wisdom. And if you can't believe his everlasting love, you will always question his faithfulness. If you deny his majesty, you will always question his power. And if you disregard his protection, you'll always question his goodness. If you disregard his holiness, you will question his fairness. So the question is not, do you believe in God? But more importantly, what sort of God do you believe in personally? And that is something that every one of us has to answer. And I have learned in my life that faith in God is a choice that you make. Sometimes you choose to believe because of what you see, but more often you have to believe in spite of what you see. And as I look at the world around me, Many things remain a mystery, and many things remain unanswerable in my mind. But here's what I believe, down to the very core of my being. I serve a good God. I serve a good God. And if he's not good, then nothing else in this world makes sense to me. And if that sounds unusual, it's because my confidence is in no one else but God alone. And many times I have to go back to those basic truths about my God. God is good. God is holy. God is just. He is love. God knows all things. God doesn't make mistakes. The Bible is true. Every word in it. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died on the cross. He was raised from the dead. He ascended to heaven. And one day he will return to this earth. The Holy Spirit is real. It inhabits me. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is always with me. God will complete his work that he has started in me. And most importantly, all things work together for my good and for God's glory. When I restate those facts, whether silently or audibly, it builds up faith in my heart. That's what I mean by going back to the first principles. That's exactly what Habakkuk is doing here in verse 12. Despite his confusion, he is giving testimony to his own faith in God. 
Now that leads us to his second question. God, how can you do this? And I want to read Habakkuk verse, chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. He says to him, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up the more righteous than themselves? You have made people like fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. This really is the heart of the problem. We all understand that there are moral inequities in the universe. Some people seem to have it easy while others suffer for years and there is no way for us to deny that reality. It's been said that into each life some rain must fall, but let's be honest about it. Some people get a sprinkle while others get a, tor a torrential downpour. How do we explain this? Habakkuk's particular problems stem from his conflict with God's approach. If, if God cannot tolerate wrongdoing, which is true, then how could he use the wicked Babylonians to judge Judah? I mean, Babylon's sins were far greater than the sins of Judah, right? Is this not a contradiction? Well, the answer is no. There are no contradictions with God. Perhaps a better way for us to put this would be during our life on this earth, God's ways will often make no sense to us at all. We simply don't know why some things happen the way they do. And sometimes we find out later, and sometimes we will not find out until we get to the other side. But eventually, we are all forced back to the first law of spiritual life. He is God, and I am not. God is sovereign, and you and I are not. And every mistake that we make comes because we forget this basic fact. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. And you know, whenever I read that verse, I want to ask, any questions? Our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. Now up to this point, God has not answered Habakkuk's question. That's going to come in the next chapter. But whether it be Habakkuk or whether it be you or me, let me simply say that any answer must go back to this simple and undeniable truth, that God is God and we are not. And until we are able to grasp that fact, we will continually struggle and have questions with our Lord. Well, here's Habakkuk's third question. God, how long will this take? Habakkuk 1.17, he asked, is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? The he in that verse refers to the Babylonian army personified by King Nebuchadnezzar as one person. 
He keeps on conquering nation after nation, and no one can stop him. If he sees a city, he takes it. If he wants what you have, he takes it. If he captures you, he's more than likely going to kill you. And guess who he's coming after now? He's coming after Judah. So in the face of this crushing evil, Habakkuk wonders when it's all going to end. Will no one stop the Babylonians, he asked. Will this reign of terror go on forever? Who can stand in his way? And this touches on the deepest question that you and I have. When life starts to crumble around us, we always ask how long or we think, is this going to last? Because people can stand up under trouble if they know that it is eventually going to come to an end. But if it never ends, how will we survive? So there you have Habakkuk's three questions. Number one, who are you, Lord? And Habakkuk answers that question himself. Number two, how can you do this? And number three, how long will this last? No answer has been given. These are all honest questions and the kind that we ask in times of trouble. And it is clear that Habakkuk is an utterly honest man who does not hesitate to take his doubts to the Lord. He doesn't cover up his concerns with, with pious little sayings. He doesn't rush to give shallow answers. Habakkuk answers the only question that he is capable of answering, but then he waits on God to answer the following two. He's confident in God, but he is confused by what God is doing in the world. So what now? Well, Habakkuk 2.1 tells us what he decides to do when he says this. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Some translations say that he stands at the watchtower. Another one says that he stands at the guard post. It describes some kind of a wooden tower that the prophet has built. And, and at this place, all alone, Habakkuk is going to watch and he is going to wait for God's answer to come. He just knew that having said everything that was on his heart, now is the time for him to be quiet and to wait upon the Lord. Because again, he still doesn't understand how God can use the Babylonians to do and to judge Judah. Oswald Chambers offers some pretty helpful things at this, to say at this point when he writes this. God can never make us whine if we object to the fingers he uses to crush us with. Oh, if God would only use his own fingers and make me broken bread and poured out wine in a special way. But when he uses someone whom we dislike or some set of circumstances to which we said we would never submit, we object. We must never choose the scene of our own martyrdom. If ever we are going to be made wine to drink, we will have to be crushed. You cannot drink grapes. Grapes become wine only when they have been squeezed. And he goes on to say that if we fight against the Lord's plan for us, the result will be that any wine that is produced within our lives will be bitter and it will be an undrinkable wine. He says, and I, and I quote, we have to be placed into God and brought into agreement with him before we can be broken bread in his hands. That's certainly good advice, but it is very hard in practice, especially when we deeply object 
to the fingers that God is using in order to crush us. Habakkuk knows more than anybody that Judah needs to be broken because of her sin, but he cannot reconcile God using the Babylonians as the appointed fingers to administer the crushing judgment upon his people. So this is Habakkuk's decision. I will wait on the Lord. And we don't know exactly how long he waited, but we do know that at length God answers him. One Bible commentary put it this way. People say that God does not speak to men as he did long ago. The truer statement is that men do not listen today as they did long ago. I think we're all real good at talking about our problems. We have this need to talk because we think that talking and sharing is beneficial and we need friends who are willing to listen to us in our agony. But sometimes we cannot get better because we won't and we can't stop talking when instead what we need to do is we need to wait upon the Lord. So as we come to the end of this message, Habakkuk now waits for an answer. While he's being honest about his complaints, he's also wise enough to take them to the Lord and to put them at the foot of the cross and to leave them there. And that leads me to a very important point. Our deepest problems aren't physiological. They aren't sociological. And no, they're certainly not political. Our deepest problem is always theological. When we wonder to ourselves, can God be trusted? So let me ask you a question this morning. What kind of God do you believe in? As I was pondering that question, two thoughts came into my mind. First of all, he's not the God that we think he is. No, he, he's much better than that. And the word better is summing up what I'm trying to convey to you this morning. Not only is God far beyond us and more vast than our minuscule minds can actually conceive, but he's much better than we have imagined. God's ways are better. God's heart is better. His thoughts are better. God's plans are always better than our plans. All that God is, all that God does is simply better. And because of this truth, we shouldn't be surprised when we continually run into problems of not understanding him. Or we shouldn't be surprised when his answers don't line up with our desires. So what do you do when you've prayed to God and you don't like the answer that you've received? You can try bargaining, but that doesn't work. You can get angry, but that doesn't help you at all. Or you can ask, some God, you can ask God some questions and you can go back to the first principles and remind yourself of who you serve, which is exactly what Habakkuk did. So the question really becomes, will you wait upon the Lord? Most of all, can you decide to wait upon the Lord in faith and in hope and in confidence that what doesn't make sense now will make sense later? And while you're waiting, will you remember that God doesn't keep time anywhere in the same way that we do? A.W. Tozer said, God never hurries. There are no deadlines against which he must work. So for the moment, we're going to leave Habakkuk where he is in his watchtower, looking and watching and waiting for the Lord to give him his answer. You know, waiting is good for the soul. 
especially when you are waiting on the creator of the universe. And as you wait, remember this. God has not forgotten you. You are on his mind right now. He sees you in your confusion, in your fears, in your distresses, but don't despair. And as you wait, rest on this mighty promise of God found in Isaiah 40, 31. They who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Scott, will you come forward and help me close this down? I want to wrap this up by making four important points to you this morning. First of all, we see only part of the picture when God sees everything. And not only does he see everything, but he has divine wisdom to understand how to deal with everything. Number two, God isn't limited to what we think he ought to do. We mistakenly think that our plans and God's plans are the same plans. Well, they are. In fact, here's an inconvenient truth for you. If your God always does what you want, he's probably not the God of the Bible. Number three, we need a God who is bigger than our small ideas. So let me ask you this morning, how big is your God? You better figure that one out before difficulties come your way. Number four, realize that you serve a good God. You serve an amazingly good God who loves you to a depth that you cannot even fathom. God is not in the business to hurt you. He is not in the business to discourage you or to defeat you. He uses difficult situations from your life to draw you to him. So therefore, when, when you just don't get what it is that you're going through, rather than walk away from God, which is typically what we, we tend to do, you should be walking towards God. You've got to get to the point where you understand that you don't have to understand everything. You just don't. In order for you to really trust God, it requires having some unanswered questions in your life. And here's an essential key to all of this, to really trust God, to, to really get to know him. If we all chose to hold on to our questions, demanding explanations for all of the unfair and difficult things that have gone on with us, we will never develop the kind of relationship with him that helps us to really know who he is and to trust him in the way that we need to trust him. And I believe that a lot of people can identify with that. You see, here's the problem with the questions that we ask God. We don't receive a satisfactory answer. What happens is we often become angry. And that anger now becomes an obstacle. It becomes a barrier to intimacy with God, between our growth of God, in God. So don't spend so much of your time trying to figure out all the details, trying to figure out all the whys. Because if you do, then you'll forget about all of the great things that God has done for you throughout your lifetime. And let go of that stuff that has become a barrier between you and your Heavenly Father. All those things that you just don't understand, you gotta get rid of that rift. Our circumstances that we're dealing with don't change the very character or the essence of who our Lord is. God is good. 
God is just. God is righteous. He is holy. He's bigger than your problems, and he is bigger than your questions, and he loves you more than you will ever, ever know. The Word of God tells us that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. The Scriptures also say that Jesus is a friend who, who, who sticks to you closer than a brother. Our problem is that we don't always stick to him in that same way because we let circumstances distract our level and our depth of our relationship with him. Will you please all stand to your feet? I want to pray for you this morning. Before I do, there are people here and watching online who due to your circumstances, you're slowly wandering away from your faith. And don't think for a minute that the enemy is not using COVID-19 as, as a obstacle as well. Because now it's becoming easier not to come to church. Now, because you're not having fellowship with other brothers and sisters in the Lord, your faith is getting weaker. He is using all of this to try to divide the church, to try to shrink the church, to try to make the church not be the force that it has been in this world. Make no mistake about it. He will use anything he can to try to destroy us, which ultimately means he is trying to destroy you. You still believe in Jesus, but you're finding that you're not necessarily living for him in the way that you once did. Maybe you're holding on to some kind of, of, of bitterness due to something that's happened in your life that you don't understand that seems unfair to you, that, that seems unjust. I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus is here today and he's reaching out to all of you who have clouded, who've been, whose minds and spirits have been clouded by some unfortunate circumstances. He wants to clear away that barrier that we've built up over your discouragement, over your broken heart, over your sadness and your, and your disappointment. He wants you to trust him again fully like you once did. And he doesn't want you to hold anything back in reserve out of fear or out of some kind of a misunderstanding. He wants you to know this morning that he's been with you all along. He's never left you. In fact, he's never been closer to you than he's been during these times. You just haven't been close to him. Most importantly, he wants you to know this morning that everything is going to be okay. And even though you may not be able to see it now, he's in control. He knows. He understands. He hurts when you hurt. And he loves you. And he still only wants the best for you. He wants you also to know that what you have gone through, you have gone through to make you stronger. And in time, it will be another element that will cause your spiritual growth to, to, to blossom in such a way that where you will become more conformed into the image of his son Jesus, which is what our goal should be as followers of Christ. There are others here and online who have never made a decision to allow Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says in order to receive salvation, you must believe and confess. You must believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then he came to this earth, and he walked at this place sinless. He showed us the love of God. He died a horrific death on the cross. And his death, his crucifixion, his resurrection, 
allows him to bring you salvation, to save you, to cleanse you of your sin, and to give you the promise of eternal life when your time on this earth is done. You know, when you decide to have a relationship with Jesus, it is the great equalizer to all of the craziness that we see going on around us. His presence in your life will bring you balance and understanding, and yes, even joy during these strange days that we find ourselves living. I believe more now than ever that there is no other way but Jesus. And if you give up on him now, you have made the greatest mistake of your life because he is the only one that you can trust in. If we have seen anything in this nation is you can't trust a whole lot of anything. But you can trust your God because he is righteous and he is holy and he is good. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. The name above all names. The name of the one who gave everything for us. And Father, I lift up my church family both here and online and even those who are watching who I've never met before. And I pray in the name of Jesus that the words of this message today have penetrated their heart to understand that uh, we cannot stay angry at you when things don't go our way. But we have to learn from them and we have to grow from them and we become stronger in our faith and our trust in you. So if there's anyone listening today, Father, anyone in this building today who does not know you, I pray that they would have the courage to pray a simple prayer of forgiveness acknowledging that you are God, that Jesus is your son, that he came to this earth. He is the only way to the Father and that through his death and his shed blood and his resurrection on the cross, we can be set free. That they would speak those words to you, that they would believe him in faith and they would confess them with their mouth to you. And for those, Father, who already know you, I pray in the name of Jesus, through the power of your spirit, that you would bring encouragement in the dark places and the struggles that they're going through and the confusion that they may be dealing with, that they could get a clear vision of who you are, that they would see you right now as the God of love that you are, the good God that you are, the faithful and just one that you are, and that they would trust in you today like never before. Now is not the time for us to turn away from you, Lord, but to lean into you more than ever before. And I pray that through your spirit, you would guide and direct our steps, guide and direct our thinking, Allow us to focus upon your goodness and not the things that we do not understand. Lord, I pray through your spirit you would strengthen each and every one of us to be good soldiers in the battle. Now more than ever, this world needs to see men and women of God who are strong in their faith and who will stand up for you and your truth because it is the answer to all of the world's problems. We are needed more now in the battlefield than ever before. And rather than retreating due to our own difficulties, Father, help us to go into the battle head on. Help us to share your goodness with others who desperately need to hear it because that will lift our spirit unlike anything else. Open our mouths to speak forth the truth that we know and that we live every day and that it would make a difference in the lives of other people. And Father, for those who are watching and praying today for you to be Lord of their life, I ask, Father, that today would be a day that they would never forget that they would sense your presence indwelling them and engulfing them at this moment. Holy Spirit, touch their hearts, their minds, their spirit, so that they would look at life differently, that they would look at life trusting you and believing in you for all things. And Father, I know that you will not let them down. 
Lord, forgive us when we question you. Forgive us when we doubt the good things that you do. Forgive us when you do things differently than we had anticipated. And yet in the long run, the result is always perfect. Help us to be able to look down the line to the perfection and not to the disillusionment that we have now. So fathers, we leave here today. I pray that your spirit would go with us, guide and direct our steps, strengthen us to be the men and women of God that you so desperately need us to be. Let us be beacons of light in this very dark and crazy world. And let that light shine brightly and let us never doubt your goodness because you are a good God. I thank you for this time together. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the power of your spirit that allows us to live a life that honors you. As we leave here today, let that be our goal and our purpose to honor you for the things that you have done for us. And I ask these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen.